Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Tuesday, September 29th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. A Halloween rocket launch, a brief peek into the history of book burnings in honor of Banned Books Week, the surprising and grim origins of Nike's Just Do It slogan, more water has been found on Mars, and the return of Fat Bear Week. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Mark your calendars for the next SpaceX Crew Dragon astronaut launch. Technically, the first real one after the pilot launch with NASA astronauts Doug Hurley and Bob Behnken earlier this summer. The Crew-1 mission will be taking off on Halloween. Originally, the launch was scheduled for October 23rd, but was pushed back to have more buffer time in between a Russian launch on the 14th and the return of a NASA astronaut and two Russian cosmonauts on the 21st. The crew will consist of Crew-1 Commander Michael Hopkins, pilot Victor Glover, who is making his first-ever spaceflight, Shannon Walker, and Japanese astronaut Sochi Noguchi. A Crew-2 mission will follow in April if all goes well. So, even if many of our usual Halloween plans are cancelled this year, at least we'll get to watch a rocket launch that afternoon, which is pretty cool. This week is Banned Books Week, which, in podcast form, sounds like it could be a week celebrating books about bands. You know, tour diaries, books by Patti Smith, that 33 and a third series. But no, it is an occasion celebrating the freedom to read by raising awareness about banned and challenged books. It is held every year in the final week of September, and it was founded in 1982 in response to a surge in banned and challenged books. You may recall this was around the time of the Satanic Panic in the United States, a confluence of many cultural and political shifts creating a maelstrom of misplaced paranoia. The holiday was initially sparked by the American Library Association, or ALA, and is currently run by a national coalition of 15 organizations and sponsors. And as part of the celebration, each year the ALA posts the top 10 most challenged books of the previous year. And a quick note here, a challenged book means some type of attempt has been made to remove or restrict the books from a library or community, and a banned book is one that has been successfully removed. Without going through the whole list of the top 10 most challenged books of 2019, I can tell you that a whopping 8 out of 10 of them were challenged for their LGBTQ content. The other two books were The Handmaid's Tale and the entire Harry Potter series. One of my favorite notes on why a particular book was challenged was, quote, Schools and libraries should not put books in a child's hand that require discussion, end quote. So, like, what do they think English classes do? What is even the point of school if you don't discuss what you're reading and the lessons you take away from books? I mean, I just, I just can't. But anyways, the reason I brought up Banned Books Week, apart from it being one of my favorite holidays of the year, is because I recently read an interesting history of book burning. Well, specifically, it was a review of an upcoming book about book burning, so if you want to dig deeper after this, you should check out Burning the Books, A History of the Deliberate Destruction of Knowledge by Richard Ovenden. Now, as you know, the most enthusiastic of challengers to books like to burn them to make a point. 
I have distinct memories from my childhood of watching local newsreels of people burning the Harry Potter books for their portrayals of witchcraft. And just this past weekend, a copypasta and or bot took over responses to The Rock's presidential endorsement, claiming that a family was burning all of their DVDs of The Rock's movies. But the tradition of burning media one disapproves of goes back way before the turn of our most recent century. The first book burning that Richard Ovenden recounts in his history of the subject is the destruction of King Ashurbanipal's library at Nineveh in the 7th century BCE. And the tradition never really let up since then. Quoting the review in the New Statesman, Ovenden's whole point is that most of the time the destruction is not wanton but purposeful, a vigorous effort to erase culture. The Paper Brigade was a group of Jewish intellectuals in Vilnius in Lithuania who were forced by the Nazis to dismantle the Strachan Library, perhaps the first Jewish public library in the world. Led by the scholar Hermann Crook, once director of the Grosser Library in Warsaw, the group sabotaged the Nazi effort as best they could and managed to smuggle thousands of books and tens of thousands of printed documents into the Vilna ghetto where they could be hidden. But that was and is a drop in the ocean. As Ovenden notes, it is estimated that in the dozen years of Nazi dominance from 1933 to 1945, more than 100 million books were destroyed. End quote. And I will add that among the books destroyed by the Nazis was the entire Institute for Sexual Studies, a research and advocacy organization run by physician and sexologist Dr. Magnus Hirschfeld. His pioneering work set the stage for many of the rights, protections, and medical advances LGBTQ plus individuals experienced in the 20th century, but the destruction of his institute also held all of that back in intentional and far-reaching ways. But the thing is, the argument Ovenden makes is that we should preserve even that which we disagree with. He points to the preservation of the Stasi's archives in Berlin, which have helped Germany heal and learn from the past. Simply burning up anything you find objectionable, while a fairly successful tactic at erasing certain cultures, doesn't work forever and certainly doesn't lead to a free and open society, where all people have access to information so they can responsibly make decisions about their own lives or so they can reflect on the misdeeds of the past. Ovenden points out that while the effort to preserve information now, in the era of digital information and archives, has never been more challenging, it has also never been more important. Quoting again, In these first decades of the 21st century, we seem beset by a generalized corruption of information, in part because we are so overwhelmed by the stuff. In a typical minute last year, Ovenden writes, around the world, 18.1 million text messages were sent, 87,500 people were tweeting, and 390,000 apps were downloaded. How to tell information from fake news is an urgent problem brought even more sharply into focus by a pandemic that has already cost more than 900,000 lives across the globe. End quote. And Ovenden, who despite his many prescient parallels to the use of information during the bubonic plague, actually wrote this book before the pandemic. And in it, he wonders, quote, whether we are in danger of handing over responsibility for cultural memory to companies such as Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, and Google, end quote. He doesn't have an answer for that, and neither do I, but I will say that broadening the definition of book to any sort of proliferation of information or storytelling does make events like Banned Books Week even more relevant. Yes, it's a great opportunity to have a chuckle at some of the books that have been banned over the years or to take action on some of the true injustices being levied by some of these challenges, 
But it's also a good time to reflect on our access to and preservation of information in this present time. Quoting once more from the New Statesman, The preservation of knowledge, as Ovenden reminds us in Burning the Books, is vital to an open, healthy society, as indeed it has been since the beginning of our civilization. End quote. I've got a bit of a grim footnote from history to share today, but, you know, hey, October starts this week, so tis the season for scary stories. And this story is about the origin of Nike's famous Just Do It slogan. In the mid-80s, Dan Whedon, the co-founder of the ad agency Whedon & Kennedy, was hired to come up with a new slogan for the fast-growing sports apparel company. As he approached his deadline without anything sticking, he stumbled on a story about Gary Gilmore, a violent criminal from the previous decade. Gilmore was on a robbing spree that turned into a murderous one when he shot an employee at a gas station he had robbed, and then another man at a motel that he subsequently robbed. During one of the incidents, he was injured, a shot to his hand, and called on a cousin for first aid assistance. That cousin ended up turning him in, and Gilmore was very quickly sentenced to the death penalty. Both of his victims had been young fathers, and Utah, where he committed the murders, is very quick to sentence people. Gilmore chose a firing squad for his execution, and when asked if he had any last words, replied, Let's do it. Dan Whedon, ten years later, reading this account, had a lightbulb moment. Quoting Better Marketing, He was amazed that a man in the face of the ultimate uncertainty that is death could step through the fire with such confidence. Then Whedon added the just to add emphasis to the do-it part. Per Whedon's own words, I was trying to write something that would tie it up so it could speak to women who had just started walking to get in shape to people who were world-class athletes, and it had the same kind of connection with them. End quote. And it worked. The slogan was first used in a 1988 commercial about 88-year-old runner Walt Stack and helped the company's sales explode. While Nike doesn't tend to confirm this origin story publicly, Whedon has gone on record with it in a number of print articles and in the 2009 documentary Art and Copy. Speaking in the same documentary, Nike's former marketing chief Liz Dolan said, quote, That was not the version I heard when I arrived at Nike. I'm sure they didn't want anyone to really know. End quote. Which is fair, but it's something to think about on your next run, or at least a fun fact to share at your next Zoom happy hour. Is there life on Mars? Well, we may be getting closer to an answer, as it seems there is definitely water on Mars. Now, you may think this is old news, and it kind of is. In 2018, scientists working on the European Space Agency, or ESA's Mars Express spacecraft, detected a lake beneath the frozen surface of Mars's South Pole. And while the evidence seemed pretty clear, it wasn't entirely conclusive. Now, the same team has conducted more research that not only firms up their previous findings from 2018, but also shows that they have found three more lakes beneath the planet's frozen surface. Quoting Sci-Fi's Bad Astronomy, The data comes from the Mars Advanced Radar for Subsurface and Lonosphere Sounding, MARSIS, an instrument about the ESA's Mars Express spacecraft, which has been orbiting the red planet since late 2013. It sends pulses of radar to the planet below, which reflects them back up. Different materials reflect the radar with different efficiencies, so that scientists can get an idea of the kinds of stuff on the surface. 
But these pulses can also penetrate fairly deeply into the ground before being reflected, and that allows scientists to literally get a picture of the material below the surface, end quote. And since 2018, they've tweaked their method inspired by a team of scientists who used a similar radar technique to find subglacial water in a Canadian ice cap, and these improvements allowed them to measure the original lake and to find the new ones. And when I say lake, I do mean actual liquid water, not a presence of water in the distant past or ice. But with temperatures in the southern pole of Mars probably exceeding negative 100 degrees Celsius, how could the water possibly still be liquid? One word, salt. Quoting again from Bad Astronomy, A chemical called perchlorate is present all over Mars in the surface regolith, the grains from eroded rocks. This is a salt, and if it got into melted water in sufficient quantities, the hypersalinity could keep the water from freezing. The same reason we throw salt on sidewalk and road ice in the winter, to lower the melting point so it can melt into a liquid. It's possible that geothermal warmth melted the base of the SPLD base a long time ago, and the perchlorates have kept it from refreezing ever since. End quote. Could any life forms survive in that briny water? Well, maybe some microbes. On Earth, the only type that can survive such salt waters are called halophiles. But of course, microbes could have evolved differently on Mars. Roberto Orosai, chief scientist on the Marsis experiment, said in a statement, quote, While the existence of a single subglacial lake could be attributed to exceptional conditions, such as the presence of a volcano under the ice sheet, the discovery of an entire system of lakes implies that their formation process is relatively simple and common, and that these lakes have probably existed for much of Mars's history. For that reason, they could still retain traces of any life forms that could have evolved when Mars had a dense atmosphere, a milder climate, and the presence of liquid water on the surface, similar to the early Earth. End quote. Of course, as the Mary Sue reminds us, if Doctor Who has taught us anything, it's to be very wary of alien life forms living in the waters of Mars. So a quick update for you. Earlier this summer, I talked about Fat Bear Week, the annual tournament at Brooks River in Katmai National Park in Alaska that creates a bracket of which bears prepare the best for hibernation by gaining the most weight. Well, the competition begins tomorrow. You can vote for which bear you think is fattest in the bracket, which will continue through October 6th. And you can also read biographical information about each bear and follow a live cam of the bears in the park. It is a genuine blast, trust me. Link in the show notes if you want to follow along. And thanks to The Moldy Filters on Twitter for reminding me that it starts tomorrow. I am now going to go practice submerging myself in freezing salty water in case Mars becomes our only option for habitation in the near future. I hope you have a good rest of your day, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow.